Father, I thank you for bringing us together on a snowy morning. Pray your safety upon those who have traveled in as they, they head out when we're done back into your world to shine your light. Pray for those at home this morning that you'd meet them in a powerful way as well. Pray that you'd open our hearts to receive your word. Prepare the soil of our hearts, our souls, our spirit, that we might receive it in a way that it bears fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Will. <laughs> hey, thanks for coming in. Before I get to preaching, I want to say a special thank you. We had a crew that showed up here early in case we had feet of snow down here. All of you who showed up ready to shovel and salt this morning and, and help things come together, thank you for, for being prepared. It turned out not to be all we thought it was going to be, but you were ready. So thank you to all of you. This week I've been thinking about communication. It's an interesting thing. Just because one person says something uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's heard and, and understood on the, the receiving end. <laughs> I found that even with my iPhone, you got to be careful when you dictate like a text to your iPhone. you got to check that before you send it because it doesn't always hear and understand what you say. One time when the church was helping the school out with, with a shed that, that we built for them, I was texting the elders about it, and I dictated to my phone that, hey, we're, we're going to help the school out with their shed. And then I pressed send. I reread it five seconds later, and it did not say shed. <laughs> My, I said one thing and my phone did not understand. I texted him right away. I, I meant to say shed. That was my iPhone. <laughs> I remember a time I was at Costco in the, the tire department waiting in line. And the guy at the counter at the, the tire desk there was saying, I, I can't help you with that here to someone on the phone. I can't help you with that here. This is the tire department. Pause for a couple seconds. He says, I can't help you with that here. This is the tire department. And then he hangs up and he looks at me and says, there's someone looking for the hearing aid department. <laughs> and I've got to confess, I can relate to the person on the other end of that phone call because I am at the stage of life where I use subtitles on my television because I have a bad ear from... Poor hearing protection out shooting one time. Anybody else in the subtitle stage of life yet? I like it. I, I'll, I'll often tell people it's because there's kids around, and that's true. That's another reason it's handy. Somebody talks, you still can see what they're, the person's saying, but it's more than that. My, my hearing is going. Hearing is, is an important part of communication, okay? Why do I bring that up? Because Jesus brings it up. He, he tells this parable that, that Caitlin read to us. And at the beginning of verse 3, he says, listen. Listen. And at the end, in verse 9, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Only Jesus isn't just talking about physical hearing. That's the gateway. 
He's talking about spiritual hearing. He's talking about hearts that will receive the truth with openness and faith. Will heed the truth and and live life in light of the truth that He speaks. In the spiritual world, that's the kind of hearing that really matters. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I want you to imagine you're there that day. Mark chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Again, He began to teach beside the sea. This is the, the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a freshwater lake. It says, A very large crowd gathered about Him so that He got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Now, I grew up by a great lake, so did Carolyn. So every time I read about the Sea of Galilee, which is a freshwater lake, I am instantly there. I can feel the sand in my sandals. I can smell the fish. I can feel the breeze coming off the water. And that's what these folks were were experiencing that day. They were looking out at the water. Jesus is out there a little ways sitting in a boat. And if you want to check something cool out today, they found a first century boat in the Sea of Galilee that they reconstructed. You want to see what the boat may have looked like that Jesus sat in? Google that. Sea of Galilee boat reconstruction. It's really cool to bring it to life even more. But but there they are. Jesus is in the boat, and it says in verse 2, He was teaching them many things in, in parables. And in His teaching, He said to them, and we'll get there in a moment, but you say, hold on, hold on. Parables, parables. We've, we've heard a lot about parables, especially if we've grown up in the church. And we know from the book of Matthew, he hit them with a lot of parables this day. Back to back to back to back. What, what is a parable? Well, the, the Greek word literally means something cast alongside. What does that mean? Well, Jesus would often take earthly things that people were familiar with and cast them alongside spiritual truths to help them understand them, right? He was a master teacher. I I love the parables. Some have summarized them as earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Warren Wearsby broke it down in a way that helps me. He said, first, it's a, a picture designed to catch interest. And then for those who listen, it becomes a mirror that shows us something about our hearts And then if we continue to look, it becomes a window that shows us something about God. That's for those who are open, for those who are listening. We'll find out in a little bit that there's a darker side to why Jesus used parables as well. But for now, listen again to the story. Imagine yourself there on the beach that day. Jesus says, listen, behold... A sower went out to sow, and many have pointed out it's possible that there was a sower on the hillsides there by Galilee. Lots of crops around there. He may have actually even pointed to a man out there scattering seed. Look! Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. 
Now, many have pointed out that when he says rocky ground there, this does not mean soil with the occasional stone in it. Common in this area of Israel was a shallow layer of soil with limestone just underneath, a whole layer of limestone that prevented the seed from, from growing. That's likely what Jesus is referring to. Seven, other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and, and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, interesting thing I learned this week. In this passage, when it says the people were standing on the shore, it's the same Greek word for soil that Jesus uses in the parable. So as he uses that word soil, he is literally sowing the seed into the people there standing on the soil. He's, he's doing what he's talking about. He's sowing the message. As he talks about sowing the message, he is the sower. And by extension, anyone who, who spreads the, the truth of the, the kingdom of God. But here we come back to why parables. Some of you who are more mathematic in your mind may think the same thing. Can, can you just spell it out for me? Give me the equation. This, this, these parables, this poetic kind of stuff, it's not me. Others of us love them. Probably a mixed reaction. But why did Jesus use parables? Well, look at verse 10. It says, When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. So obviously, alone doesn't mean alone, alone. This is later when he's away from this giant crowd. His twelve are with him, and there are some other faithful followers with the twelve still spending time with Jesus, and, and they want to know, why, why do you speak in parables? And he said to them in verse 11, To you, you who are open to the truth and, and following me, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. You see the dual purpose? It's to help those with open hearts understand more deeply and those with closed hearts to not be able to understand. One, one man said it's like a New Testament example of the pillar of fire and cloud that stood between Israel and Egypt at the Red Sea. It brought light to God's people but darkness to those who rejected Him. Now in our 2021 mindset, I know right away that brings up some objections in our human hearts. Right? That sounds mean of Jesus to do that. That's why it's so important to read four Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you want a full understanding of what Jesus teaches and does, use all four Gospels. 
Just like if it snows 10 to 16 inches tonight, like they're saying it might, some of you might use four-wheel drive tomorrow morning to get all the traction you can. You want all the traction you can get in the truth of who Jesus is. Don't just stop with Mark. Read them all. They they flesh each other out. Because Matthew tells us it's not just that Jesus decided, oh, these these people are not going to understand it because I don't want them to. There was something they had already decided in their own hearts about Jesus. Matthew 13, 14, when, when he talks about this passage, which is a reference back to Isaiah chapter 6, he says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And listen to this, in their eyes they have closed. There were people in this crowd who had already chosen to close their eyes to Jesus. We, we heard about some of them last week. The religious leaders and the blasphemy of the Spirit deliberately misinterpreting what Jesus was doing and accrediting, accrediting it to Satan. They had closed their eyes. And I want you to listen to this. There's, there is a, a truth throughout Scripture about our accountability and our responsibility and how precious it is when we hear truth about God, Jesus, the kingdom of God. God will honor our response to Him. If we choose to harden our hearts, we see multiple instances in the Scriptures where if we continue in that path, God will oblige us. You see it in the Old Testament This combination of the Pharaoh who would not let the people go. Some passages say he hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Other passages say God hardened his heart. Which was it? It was both. God honored his choice. You say that's Old Testament. Romans 1. Read what happens to those who continually suppress the truth right before their eyes. It says God gave them over. And you can read the downward spiral of confusion and sin that God gives them over to. Why why am I sharing this? When you hear the truth of Jesus here or anywhere else, it is a precious thing. Please make sure you have an open heart that says, I will receive that. I will learn from that. That's the key to learning more. I thought about it like this, 3D movies, they're, they're not as big as they used to be, but when, when they first came out, man, that was the coolest thing, right? You go in there and, and you put on the glasses and everything just comes to life. That movie is coming out at you, it takes it to a whole nother level. That's what faith does when when somebody's listening to Jesus' parables. When when you have an open heart and are willing to receive the truth, it brings His truth to a whole other level. But if you refuse to put on the glasses of faith and listen, when you read these parables, it's all fuzzy. It comes back to, are you open to the truth? In all of the parables that Jesus tells you, you know what they have in common? They bring us back to the kingdom of God. Specifically that it has drawn near in the person of Jesus Christ. 
So what's the meaning of this parable? I want to throw out an overarching question. How's your heart hearing? How's your heart hearing towards spiritual truth of God and His Word? Because I think that's what Jesus is getting at in this parable. Verse 13, He says to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? When he says, how then will you understand all the parables? Many believe what Jesus is saying. And this, this parable right here is kind of a key to all the rest. Why? Because this is about receiving what he's saying. It's key to understanding everything else that he would say in the parable. So if you don't understand this one, how are you going to understand the other ones? And he goes through four kinds of hearts. As we look at these hearts, I want you to ask yourself, which kind of heart do I have this morning towards the truth of God? That's what Jesus wants to explore this morning. The first heart is a hard heart. The truth is snatched away almost as soon as it lands on this heart. Verse 14, he says, the sower sows the word. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Path. What's this? This is a dirt path through the field. Many people would walk it. And when you walk on dirt over and over and over again, what happens? It becomes hard. So the soil didn't penetrate and the bird snatched down and took it. He says, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Now, is it only Satan? No, what he's warning these people is if you have a hard heart towards God's truth, even though Satan is bound, as we read last week, if you cooperate with him by having a hard heart, he will cooperate with you by taking the truth away. You don't want to cooperate with Satan by having a hard heart that rejects the truth of God. Mark Twain said this. He said, It's not the things I don't understand about the Bible that bother me. It's the things I do understand. That's true for many. I don't like that, so I'm going to reject it. It's not that you have to understand it all. It's just you have to be open In faith, say, God, teach me through your word. You got to follow the footsteps. I was out for a run this morning in the snow, and I saw a long path of footsteps down the the road. And I thought, man, if you want to find out where that person is, all you got to do is keep following those footsteps. But if at any point I chose to veer off those footsteps, I would, I would go my own way, and I would never find that person. That's what it's like with the truth of Jesus. He doesn't dump it all in you in one huge download. Just follow the footsteps of God's Word that He's putting in front of you. Fun take on this with snow out there. Somebody said, do you know how to find Will Smith in the snow? Look for the fresh prints. It's just... Yeah. That was a show with Will Smith, if you didn't know. If you've been under a rock for 25 years. <laughs> openness. 
I, I shared with the 8.30 service last week. I didn't share with the 10. When you go hiking around here in the Dells or wherever on the, on the rocks, the way the trails are marked out are by these white dots. They, they spray paint them about every 10, 20 feet. And to get through safely, all you've got to do is follow the white dots. You don't have to know where they all are. You just have to be open enough to look for the next one and keep going so you don't bring yourself to a dead end or a place where you're going to really hurt yourself, this openness. I, I summed up this openness like this. this is, it's as easy and as impossible as being open to the truth about ourselves and the truth about God, and how our life should respond in light of it. I said easy and impossible. You notice that? It's, it's easy in one sense. You just got to be open, but the human heart rails against openness about our, ourself, especially when it's convicting. And I said impossible because without God it is. We, we need His grace to have this openness in our lives. Part of what Jesus is getting at is failure to learn with Jesus isn't primarily an intellectual issue. It's a moral issue. John 7, 17, he said it this way, if anyone's will, that's our choice, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. He brings our knowing back to our willingness. Are you willing to do God's will? Then you'll know the truth. So let me ask you, are you open to the truth that you have heard and are hearing about Jesus in your life? I was talking with Dave Gorgas about this yesterday on the phone. He's one of our online streamers, does a lot of teaching and and he thought about the hard heart, and, and he thought, you know what, that, that ground just needs plowed up. And some of that plowing, some of the key of it is repenting. <laughs> repenting in faith. So if you're on the fence on this, allow God to do His work in those areas. Next he talks about a shallow faith. I heard a humorous story about shallow faith. Harry Cohen was the head of Columbia Movie Studios back in the day, and he had a brother named Jack. And Jack said, hey, Harry, why don't we make a, a biblical epic movie? Wouldn't that be cool? And Harry said, what, what do you know about the Bible? Jack, he said, I'll lay you $50. You don't even know the Lord's Prayer. And Jack said, now I lay me down to sleep. Harry pulled out $50 and said, I didn't think you knew it. <laughs> that, that's a, a shallow faith. That's not the Lord's Prayer if you didn't know. Read Matthew 6. <laughs> that's kind of humorous, but there is a, a serious kind of shallow faith that we need to watch out for. Verse 16. These are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, Immediately receive it with joy. There's this instant emotional response. Yes, 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 I want that. Here comes the trouble. They have no root in themselves. 
but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Mark says they have no root in themselves. Luke adds that they have no moisture. Because the roots don't go down deep, that limestone rock is there. They can't get moisture. That limestone actually becomes like a reflector of the heat. Luke also adds that they believe for a while. One man calls this the the thin life. The thin life, this shallow kind of faith that falls away at the first sign of trouble regarding the word. They're only in it as long as it's easy. Now there's an interesting word here. When when he says when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. That word fall away is scandalon. They are scandalized by trials. Trials offend them and they fall away when life gets hard. Why would a trial offend someone that says they believe in Jesus? I think one key reason is they do not have a solid theology of suffering. That can come from ourselves. We don't want to think about suffering. We don't want to deal with the reality of it. So we're going to imagine that life with Jesus is pie in the sky this side of heaven. It can come from false teachers who refuse to talk about suffering even in the life of the believer in this fallen world. So if you have no theology of suffering or you've listened to teachers that tell you, yes, you will always receive the healing in this life. You will always receive the wealth in this life. So long as you have faith and then it doesn't happen, you will be scandalized. And you will say, this is not what I signed up for. Why not rather listen to Jesus Himself who said, you will have trials in this world. But take heart, I have overcome the world. If you're not going to be scandalized when trials come to your life, you need to have a good theology of suffering. 1 Peter, 2 Peter, last year we went through those books. Those were churches that, that knew about this. Paul knew about this. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that that this thorn in my flesh should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There's a true believer with a theology of suffering. You will need that if you are going to hold on in this world. Will gave me a book last year that I'm going to take our men's group through. 
This is a, a book that I'd encourage you to read if you want a good, sound theology of suffering in this world. It's called Prepare, Living Your Faith in an Increasingly Hostile Culture. It's written by Paul Nyquist, a former president at Moody Bible Institute. If you are to hold on, you need a solid theology of suffering so that when it comes, you are not scandalized and fall away. Teachers who do not teach this to their churches are like football coaches who send their teams out on the field with no pads. They're going to get crushed out there. You need a solid theology of suffering. You need to put those pads on. You need to be warned that that other team is going to be out there to hit you. And prepare for victory. Prepare for victory. Listen to this. One man said it this way, the deepest walk with God comes when we are under pressure, yet can see beyond the immediate suffering That mindset transforms pain into privilege. I thought about it like this. Evan, our son, just bought a a rocket. It's essentially a two-liter bottle with a cork that has a hole in it for the air pump cord to get in. And, And he set that rocket on his stand. We had it out yesterday, and he's there with his his bike pump, and he's Increasing the pressure. You can see the pressure building in this bottle. You see the bubbles going in. You can see it start to, to bulge out. And if I was that bottle, I think, man, that would be painful. But as he keeps pushing that pressure, eventually that cork shoots out and that two liter bottle reaches heights that it never could have reached without that pressure inside of it. And I think that's what this man is saying. Pain in itself is no thing we need to worship or be excited about. But when we walk through our pain in a way that looks beyond it to a God who's in control, to a God who promises to give us strength in the middle of it, to be faithful, we will move into places in our Christian life that we never would have if we had not looked to Him in the middle of that pain instead of falling away at the first sign of trouble. Those of you who are sick of me talking about Rocky are going to get even sicker today. One of the things I love about Rocky in those Rocky movies is he always does better in a fight after he's been hit a few times. I'm telling you, when I read the book of Acts and I see what the early church went through, because of the Holy Spirit within them and the faith and boldness that God gave them, time after time, it's after they get hit that God does His best work. In them. There always has been a sifting going on within the church between those who only profess faith but will bail at the first sign of trouble and true believers who will hold on and persevere. Because perseverance, by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, is a sign of those who are truly followers of Christ. So we think about this, I want to ask you, are your roots growing deep into Jesus? Are you prepared for suffering? 
in this world? Or do you run at the first sign of difficulty? For me, one of the, the things as I process through this, because it is difficult. Nobody wants to think about suffering. We'd all like to pretend it's not real. And one day that will be the case. It will be a thing of the past. right? But for now, we're in the middle of it. One thing that helps me is to think of all that my Lord went through. Right? He led the way. He didn't just preach this. He, he lived it. I read a true story about a missionary on a tropical island that was teaching the people on the island about Christmas. And they asked, why do you give gifts on, on Christmas? And he was explaining because God gave his ultimate gift, his son. And so we, we share the joy by giving gifts to others. And one of the, the men on the island took that to heart and he went on a long journey. It took him many miles to the, the edge of the island where he found this very rare conch shell near the shore, walked all the way there, walked all the way back and gave it to the missionary. And the missionary told him, wow, that's beautiful. I really appreciate that. And the man looked at him and said, long walk, part of gift. (laughs) Max Anders used that story in his book, 30 Days to Understanding the Bible, to, to drive home the long walk that Jesus took. From heaven to earth to the cross to the tomb. For us, the long walk was part of the gift. So if you struggle to embrace this theology of suffering, don't forget that our Lord not only preached it, He practiced it for you and for me. The third kind of soil I call strangled. Verse 18, others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things enter in and choke the word. Luke says these things grew up with with the Word. And the fruit does not mature. So what are these things that can choke the Word? Taylor says, cares of the world, that's anxiety arising out of the times in which we live. Morrison said the cares of the age are the distractions that come from this period of the world's history, a period when things are exceedingly out of order. (laughs) I read that, I'm like, yep, that's where we live, and it can be distracting. And I think about that, and I'm like, man, while we need to have a, a good grip of the world we live in so that we know how to live in light of it, Christians should not be so distracted by things of this world, that the spiritual life of Jesus within us is choked out. We have to be involved and speak the truth, but listen, I'm telling you, if we are so distracted by the cares of the world that that we are overcome with worry, just like our neighbors, we're not going to be much of a light. Jesus said, do not worry. 
This is part of why you cannot live a life of worry and allow His Word to grow like it needs to in our lives. While we're out there speaking the truth and being faithful, I think Christians should live with joy because of our relationship with God. We should enjoy our relationships with each other. We should enjoy the calling God has put on our lives to shine a light into the lives of our neighbors if we are to grow. We must not be choked out by cares of this world. It's the sheer amount of things that can capture our interest that is often dangerous in this world. It's not that everything is bad. It's that we get way too many of them that consume us and there's no room left for Jesus, for His Word, for prayer. Ralph Earl said, In this day of complex living, perhaps the crowded life is the greatest danger that confronts Christians. Only as they watch and pray every day can they hope to escape being choked to death spiritually by even the legitimate cares of life. Think about Jurassic Park. It, it's not only the T-Rex you got to watch out for. You remember the little compies? <laughs> They're only like this big. But if you get 50 or 100 of them on you, you're dead. That's how the cares of this world are. You think this isn't that bad. That's not necessarily a sin. Not all of them are. And it's not wrong to enjoy things in this world and give glory to God. But when they consume us to the point where there is no room left for God, we run grave risk of the spiritual life being strangled. So I want to ask us, are our lives too crowded to listen to God? Are our lives too crowded to get into His Word and, and spend time in prayer and let His life grow within us? Gundry looked at these three, three problems of hard heart, shallow heart, and what's his last one? Strangled heart. And he said, look, here's the cure for the hard heart. You hear God's Word, welcome it immediately. You hear it today, say, yes, Lord. I don't understand it all, but I, I want it. Let, I want to let it in. Please work it in my life. Welcome it immediately so it's not snatched away. Welcome it deeply into your life. Don't just hear it here and then walk out the door and forget it. Say, God, what do you want to do with this in my heart, in my life? I don't want to just memorize it. I want it to transform the way I speak and act out there. Welcome it deeply. And welcome it exclusively so that it's not choked out by things of this world. That last one, I think about that. We need to realize we are finite human beings. We only have so much bandwidth in here and here. We only have so much time on this planet. We cannot chase everything in this world and be devoted to God. we got to make some choices. Some things have to be paired off. You read this parable, it also reminds us that as we're out there sowing the Word with Jesus, we're going to sow it to all kinds of people. All kinds of people. David Garland says, Although speaking to some people is like trying to grow wheat in the passing lane of the local expressway, 
Speaking to others, it's like trying to grow wheat in a two-inch flower pot. And to still others, like trying to grow wheat in Br'er Rabbit's briar patch, the seed will be sown and generously. Only sowing will lead to a harvest. While this parable is realistic, they're not all the soils receptive. It's also encouraging because we get to the last soil. There are some in this world, some in this room. The soil is what I call steadfast. Verse 20, those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And this is another place where having four Gospels is really helpful. Three of the Gospels tell this parable and all three of them add different details about this good soil. Because if you're like me, you hear this parable and you're praying in your heart, Lord, help me to have that kind of good soil. What does it look like? And when you put the three Gospels together, here's what I found. I'd encourage you to check out the parable in all three for yourself. But first one, we saw it here. Hear it. You've got to hear it. You have got to be exposed to the Word of God. You're, you're doing that this morning. I hope you do that at home in God's Word. You've got to have it to where you can, can hear it. But not just hear it. Accept it. Welcome it in to your mind, your heart, your life. Don't leave it out here. Accept it in. One of the Gospels says, understand it. There's, there's nothing magical about hearing the words of Scripture. They're not like a magic potion. If we don't understand them in a way that changes our lives, then we need to get on that journey and say, Lord, help me understand them. Connect me with some other Christians to help me understand them. How this impacts my life here, in my family, in this workplace, in this trial. One of the Gospels as this soil holds it fast. Hold the word fast. That comes in especially during the trials, right? When you're tempted to bail, you're not going to. You're going to stay in the word and you're going to hold it fast. And you're going to say, Jesus, even though I don't totally understand and I don't even feel it right now, maybe. I'm going to hold fast to you and your word. I'm going to choose to believe it is true despite everything going on around me. And it says, hold fast in an honest and good heart. Do you have an honest heart that's willing to be honest about yourself, honest about God, honest about the world? And then it talks about bearing fruit and, and yielding a crop. We all know biblically that's the Spirit within us. As we submit to God's Word in faith and surrender, God will bear a crop through our lives. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. As we plug into Him, much, much fruit will come. But one last thing one of the Gospels added here, bear fruit and yield with patience. That's so important. This does not happen overnight. If you're looking for a quick fix, with patience. Right? 
How's the soil of your heart? Maybe you have some reluctance. A lot of us do at different times. Do you have any openness in there as well? I'm telling you, like Jose's story reminded us last week, God will take the smallest bit of openness that you have today if you bring it to Him and say, Lord, I got some questions, I got some reservations, but I'm open. I need you. I want to close with with one more example of that. Many of you know C.S. Lewis was an atheist before he came to the Lord, the author of Mere Christianity, Screwtape Letters, Chronicles of Narnia, the Space Trilogy. He was a professor at Oxford, and he was a hardcore atheist. While he was at Oxford, he wrote about an encounter he had with an atheist individual. I want you to listen to this, and listen to the difference between the two of them. He said, early in 1926, the hardest boiled of all the atheists I ever knew sat in my room on the other side of the fire and remarked that the evidence for the historicity of the Gospels was really surprisingly good. Rum thing, he went on. Rum thing. It it almost looks as if it had really happened once. To understand the shattering impact of it, you would need to know the man who has certainly never since shown any interest in Christianity, if he, the cynic of cynics, the toughest of the toughs, were not, as I would still have put it, safe, where could I turn? Was there then no escape? Listen to C.S. Lewis. You must picture me alone in that room, night after night, feeling, whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting hand of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. I did not then see what is now the most shining and obvious thing. The divine humility which will accept a convert, even on such terms. The prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet, but who can duly adore the love which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance of escape? What in the world is he saying? He's saying, I had a lot of reluctance left in me, but you know what he had with that? Just enough openness to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, and God in His grace welcomed him home. What kind of soil do you have in your heart? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this parable. As Jesus said, it's the the key to, to all the rest. It's all about receiving your truth. And when we look through these four soils, I think most in this room, like me, have an awareness that we need your help. We need your grace if we are to be that good soil. So I ask it this morning. Are there any hard hearts in here rejecting your truth that you, through your Spirit, would plow that ground, enable them to come to repentance? and faith to look for that first white dot and then the next one 
and the next one. Lord, if there's any in this room that have that superficial kind of faith that that's okay as long as life is going good, but as soon as it goes bad, you're out the window. Lord, help them to grow in your word. 2 Corinthians is a wonderful place to develop a biblical theology of suffering and your strength in the middle of it. Give us a firm footing, realistic and yet also hopeful, knowing that there's darkness up front, but there is victory in you. And Lord, I pray for any who heard about the the choked plant and said, that's me, my life is just too full. And it's not all bad stuff, but some of it's got to go to make room for God and His call on my life to Jesus, to the Word, to prayer. May You help them. Come alongside them lovingly to prune. Free up their life. We only have so much time here, Lord. For any who are consumed with worry, bring them to trust. Any who have bought the lie of the deceitfulness of of riches, that that's what's going to bring me ultimate satisfaction. And maybe even come to find that it's just not true. Help them to know what they're looking for is in You. And Lord, we pray that by the grace of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit within us as Your children, that You would bear fruit in our lives. You'd help us to live lives of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That You give us opportunities to bear fruit in the lives of folks that don't know You. To spread the good news of Jesus. Lord, even as we take our offering today, I pray that You'd help us to use that for Your glory. In our deeply grateful hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.